Hello, welcome back. It's episode 34 of Canberra Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are speaking with Liam Cavana about life after a business degree and starting your first business. Within this episode, we cover the merits and the benefits of a business degree, as well as looking with a critical eye about some of the areas that you probably want to consider if you are somebody that wants to own their own business or ultimately just perform at your best within a career outside of that. Liam shares with us his journey from a personal development perspective, what started it, what were some of the things he did. And as all listeners know, we go right in on good positive habits that Liam adopted of other high performers that he saw. Towards the end of the podcast, we understand a little bit more about Liam's first business, which is Better in Everyday Life, better known as Bell, which is an online coach and client matching service. We'll detail more about that as the podcast goes. And I'm excited to bring this one to you. Lastly, before we dive into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you for the feedback on last week's episode with Dr. Sarkar on resilience in business and fitness. And I just can't say how much I appreciate the continued support of the listenerships. And I know that we are continuing to grow. If you haven't already, make sure you're leaving a rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts and you're sharing this with your friends, family, or whoever you think needs to hear this as I know a lot of people are delving into the back catalogue now that are new subscribers. Without any further ado or rambling from me, let's go. Hello folks and welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations and today's conversation we are talking to Liam Cavana, university student at Aston, qualified now in business and psychology, content creator, online coach and business owner and today we are diving into life after a business degree, starting your first business and what that looks like. Liam, welcome to the podcast. Colin, thanks a lot for uh, for having me. I'm really excited to, to dive in and, and ha- have a chat with you. I've listened to a few of your previous episodes and, and the conversations always seem, you know, really, really uh, valuable. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to to dive in. Yes, no doubt about it. I'm glad you've enjoyed some of the previous ones. And I'm, I'm sure this one will resonate with a lot of people because we're going to talk a little bit about the university experience and what that means and maybe elements that are applicable to starting your own business and trying to be an entrepreneur. And equally, we're going to be maybe a little bit critical as some of the other areas. And that's not to say that we're going to take a, a really biased approach either way, but I think it's going to be a valuable chat around that because maybe there's some listeners that are maybe considering going to university, they've been to university. We'll have a, a very broad church of, of, of listeners in this space that are interested in that. And equally, we obviously relate it all to, to fitness as well. So without um, any further ado, Liam, do you want to give us a little bit of a background on you as a, as a top level? Yes, yeah, yeah. So just just very briefly, I'm um, uh, like like we mentioned, a, a recent graduate. I graduated uh, last summer, so summer 2019. Um, and yes, yeah, since then, I've just kind of thrown myself into getting qualified to, to personal train, uh, become an online uh, coach, uh, and then also started my my first business. Um, so when I was sort of growing up and when I was younger, I was always very keen on the concept of, of getting a corporate job and, and working and wearing a suit and working up in London. Um, 
you know, maybe I'd watched the two, a few too many episodes of Suits or something like that. I would sort of romanticised it. Um, and yeah, that was, you know, always the, the path that I wanted to go on. Um, and then as part of my degree, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a bit later, um, I did a placement year where I was working in recruitment in London. So obviously part of recruitment is you speak to people about moving jobs. So, you know, on a daily, weekly basis, I was speaking to so many people who were unhappy with their jobs. And, you know, a lot of the people that worked there as well, you know, nobody loves recruitment. I think if you ever speak to a recruiter, they probably don't love recruitment. They enjoy the thrill of, you know, making deals and, and, and the, uh, you know, the financial rewards that come with that. Of course. Um, so I was, you know, I was working with and speaking to so many people who didn't enjoy the those jobs that I kind of romanticised. Um, and that started me on this path of, oh, maybe I don't want to get a grad job after I graduate and, and I want to go in a different route. Um, and so that's really what sort of thrown me into this kind of different direction, um, which all started with me sort of thinking about wanting to do something different. And then, you know I, know, I know you're a big advocate of taking action and then not just thinking it, but making that and you know, translating that into my actions, which, um, you know, sort of happened over, over my final year and, and after graduating. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of like a, a brief overview, I guess. Of course, Liam. And I think the interesting thing that you've raised there is that uh, a lot of degrees in England have this sandwich year, this year in industry that comes as part of your degree. And if I'm honest, in the Scottish system, we don't have an awful lot of that. So many of the listeners won't have experienced that, but many of the English listeners will have, or they'll be aware of it. And I think it probably sounds like quite a valuable experience to have alongside your business and psychology degree to have spent a year at the coalface in a corporate job and you were in the city of London doing, doing the kind of stuff that you maybe had aspired to get involved with. And mm. it's turned out that it's maybe not been what you expected. While, of course, there will have been some valuable things that you learned, there's also that realization that, you know what, maybe I want to own my own business. I want to do my own thing in a separate sector rather than being involved in this. And on, on recruitment, I know it can be a very hard graph. There's a lot of recruiters I'm connected with on, on LinkedIn, of course, but also on Instagram. And, mm. and, and some of them are some of the best salespeople and best kind of um, cold callers, warm callers, whatever you want to call it, um, follow-up callers that, that I've ever met and, and, and mm. experienced. And they're very resilient people, but I know it can be a very tough gig if you don't um, quite love it in terms of the, in yeah. terms of the, high, the highs and the, and, and the process. Yeah. So it's interesting that, that you felt that way. What were some of the main things that you did learn in that, in that year in terms of stuff that you could take forward? Um, so, I, well, I, I always say the, the biggest learning from me was on a very personal level. And that was, you know, since then, I'd kind of bruised in, in most situations that I've ever been in. So, you know, socially, um, I'm quite confident. So, you know, always happy to, to chat to people and, and, you know, find myself in new environments and usually adapt quite quickly. Um, and so I went into this placement and this being the first time I've ever been in a corporate environment, just expecting that to happen again. Um, and no one sort of told me at the time, it was, it was a bit of a strange one, but towards the end, once I, you know, had a very good rapport with, with a lot of the, the more senior staff, um, you know, they told me that when I first started, I was a little too friendly with, with people and, you know, wasn't didn't necessarily respect the, the corporate boundaries that were in place um, and that, that kind of came from like 
you know, my own personality, but also seeing the way other people interacted and sort of just assuming that was the norm. But actually, there's a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, like unsaid, you know, rules, um, which you need to kind of clock on to and, and realise, like no one ever tells you that stuff. So, so that right. was really interesting. Really, yeah, really interesting. You're so right when it comes to that corporate environment, there's kind of these unspoken mannerisms and etiquette and things like that. And I think sometimes when you're that age as well, you're almost expected to be a little bit deferential. So mm. that, that, that can be quite challenging, particularly given, like you said, your personality type where you're outgoing, you want to build rapport with people quickly. Sometimes there's a case of, no, you're the new boy at school. You need to ease your way in yeah. here, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, that's quite funny, but equally, and we won't go too far off topic, but I know from working with certain brands, the people that work with those brands as part of the kind of uh, ambassador team, the ones that have worked in a corporate environment or a business environment, they tend to be a lot more respectful of the, the mm. staff and the management team. So I won't drop too many hints, but um, one of the brands I work with that begins with an M and ends in an N, um, <laughs> they, they, they regularly have to reel in some of the ambassador team who have gone a little bit too far because they don't quite appreciate how to deal on a business basis. They've only really lived yeah. that maybe influencer lifestyle so they don't always appreciate how to speak to maybe your your direct report your manager in terms of them um, mm. that environment so i think that was probably a valuable experience for you in terms of learning sometimes a little bit about hierarchy but also when when you can give your full personality and yeah. develop that and, and and be in that place what kind of things did it do to your ambitions then because you've said that ambitions previously in that corporate role that in the suit and don't get me wrong that's where very much my ambitions continue to lie but for you something clicked in your head that said you know I think I'd rather be uh, a business owner mm. yeah I'm not really it was like a very gradual thing I don't think it, it wasn't like you know after two weeks or after day one I was like ah oh, this is not for me I'm gonna start my own business it was yeah definitely a, a, a gradual thing of throughout that year I kind of started to and to be fair, this is obviously only off of one experience of, of doing recruitment. And I'm sure if I'd, you know, if it was a different role and maybe something I enjoyed a bit more or I might have felt differently. But I certainly found myself, you know, living for the weekends um, and just like wishing away the entire week so that I could go out and have a drink on Thursday and Friday night. Um, and that was very much just the culture. And, and you know, at the time, I, I loved it. Like if you asked me then and there, I would have told you like I'm having I'm having a great time. I'm quite a laid back person, quite easy going anyway. So I usually just try and you know make the most of every situation and just enjoy myself. So I was at the time I was enjoying it, but you know as that went on for a whole year and, and sort of upon reflection, I was like, oh actually, if I was not doing this, if this was my grad job and I, this was sort of indefinitely my life as opposed to just a year's placement with, with a definite end date I'm not sure if I actually would have enjoyed it as much because I would have known that it's sort of going continuing that definite end date is quite important for the experience isn't it because it was a kind of a finish line to know that I'm going back to university to complete my degree and I've had this experience and I can probably take more stock of it and from conversations that you and I have had previously and this is the the beauty of Instagram where you meet quite like-minded people who are on the on that same trajectory as you in terms of self-development this was a, maybe a little bit of a trigger for you to to, to look inwards and look at who you were as a person because I know you've said you were very much involved in the 
in the, the drinking culture and the, the kind of um, enjoyment side of recruitment, which is probably quite healthy, especially as you're trying to integrate. But equally, mm. you maybe thought that I could be a maybe a, a more actualized or a more um, on-point person to be a high performer or be at peak performance. What did that look like and what triggered it? So, yeah, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't see what I'd been doing and think, ah, oh, right, now I need to be uh, more of a, you know, I need to be more purposeful with, with what I do, with the habits I engage in and stuff like that. Again, it was sort of a, a gradual thing. Um, but it really started, you know, following that um, placement year and going back into university and sort of realising, right, I'm, I'm thinking differently. I, I want to do something that's different that's all well and good but actually that requires action like I have to start doing something different if I want that to translate into what my future looks like um and so what one thing that that really sort of triggered uh, that interest in personal development um was uh, a podcast called uh, the take flight podcast so I used to be and sort of still a little bit am a, a big fan of Made in Chelsea I know it's like absolute trash tv but you know, it, it, it does something for me. Um, and one of the people on there, a guy called Proudlock, has his own um, clothing brand. And he was on this podcast. And that's sort of what introduced me to the podcast. I really enjoyed the episode. So went back and listened to, to all the uh, previous episodes. Uh, and essentially what, what this podcast is, is, is a peak performance podcast. And, and the, the host, Mark Whittle, um, interviews really high performers. And, you know, a lot of the names you know people he'd interviewed were names i recognized and people i thought wow they've they've really achieved something great and hearing them uh, and hearing their story of, of where they started was really like eye-opening for me because they started from normal beginnings like humble beginnings like lots of people just started off as people who went to university and got a job and then got another job and then something clicked and they you know they went on a journey and it sort of made the, the idea of doing something different and starting your own business and trying to grow something a lot more attainable and a lot more relatable. Like, you know, you, you see some massive, these massive brands, you know, and you just think, well, I, I could never do something like that. But then you hear the people behind those brands tell you of how it actually happened. And you're like, oh, I can do that, like 100%. And so that's really what triggered my interest in, in personal development. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's probably the, the, the key thing I think that, that really triggered uh, that interest. I, re I really like that and we won't segue too much, but yeah, I used to be a big main Chelsea fan when I was at uni. That was a, a yeah. few years ago now. I used to love it. And Proudlock actually did a few guest appearances at nightclubs in Glasgow and I remember his brand, Serge uh, Denim, I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the one. And I'd, I'd a, my brother and I both had a couple of jumpers and t-shirts. We were, we, were, <laughs> we were big fans um, of that. Love it. But so many of the listeners will probably resonate with what you've just said in terms of you heard one particular source and you weren't in a place where you were, oh, I'm a terrible person, I need to change or whatever. There wasn't life events going on that were a failure. At the end of the day, you were, you were studying a, a, a good degree, a, a good university with good career prospects ahead of you. You'd just done a placement year, so your CV was probably looking pretty good when it came to mm. going into your final year and applying for grad jobs if that's what you wanted to do. But there was a level of peak performance that you were became aware that was attainable for you just based on listening to these high functioning individuals and some of the things that they did and mm -hmm. the complete realization that you know what with the right application the right habits the right routines the right 
time invested and maybe a tiny little pinch of luck depending on when you get involved in a certain thing you could potentially achieve the same thing as them or at least the same thing on a on a on a on a, on a sliding scale of success yeah don't get me wrong not many people listening to this are going to be the next gym are not going to create the next gym shark and that's absolutely fine but there's different scales of achievement that you could have if you implement similar behaviors to ben francis and his work ethic and his drive and yeah. his identification of um, what the market needed so i think that's really interesting what were some of the habits that came up on mark whittle's podcast initially that you thought listen liam i, I think i could do some of these yeah 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 so um the, and before i just sort of explain a few of them like the reason that i was so keen to, to try them was i knew i wanted to do something different i wanted to start my own business i didn't have an idea for a business though so but I was so, you know, keen and, and so set on this idea that I was like, right, what can I do today to start to, you know, make a bit of a difference? So, yeah, some of the things were um, reading, which is still a massive, like an absolutely massive part of my, my life now. Um, meditation. That's another one where, you know, I, I was like, mm, sounds a bit fluffy, but I can give it a go. And I've sort of made that a habit and, and stuck with that. Um, you know, up until to present day. Um, another one, which which I probably, I don't think I picked up from uh, that podcast, but, but on a, a different one was um, affirmations. So the for people who are not familiar, they're, they're sort of, you know, positive statements, which you say out loud. Um, and it's something that, you know, again, when you first hear about it, you think, like what a waste of time there's, there's no point in saying things out loud you know it's going to make no difference whatsoever but actually you know my thought process was right well i've heard a fair few people talk about affirmations who have done some incredible things why not actually give it a go and when you think about like the, the cost benefit analysis like obviously you don't need to think about everything so technically but you know it takes two minutes to do this every morning what else am i going to do with that two minutes which could have such a potentially positive impact great point and first of all to touch on the the meditation side of things if you said to 18 year old liam you're going to meditate once a day every day he would have laughed in your face um 100%. equally the thing the comment you make around affirmations is certainly where my head was at before and I know you can say them equally. I've started to write them in my, in my gratitude journal, the six minute diary, which a lot of the listeners and followers on Instagram will know that I'm a big fan of. And again, mm. that's just something that it sounds fluffy. That's a nice term. I like that. Yeah. Um, a, a, a lot of people say harsher things than that. Um, and, that's, <laughs> and, and, and that's absolutely fine because when you're listening to these high performers and peak performers and high achievers, a lot of them are pretty normal people, but they just have really strong habits and routines in behind them, such as affirmations, such as they mm. meditate, such as they serve themselves as part of their morning routine before their day starts, and then they mm. perform at a much higher level. And the, the affirmations for me is what I would call low-hanging fruit. So it's, it's actually it's quite easy to reach, and there's yeah. a, not an instant reward, but it's, it is rewarding to do it. And how we frame things and our self-talk, and there'll be other episodes in future where we talk a bit more about self-talk as well, and that I've got lined up, how we think of ourselves and how we envisage how we're going to behave and act is a huge part of our outcomes. And I like that you, although the initial discomfort, and that's the big part about any improvement in habit, that initial inertia and discomfort is quite significant to overcome. 
if you don't mind sharing, what were some of the affirmations that, that immediately came to mind? And I, I'm happy to share some of mine. And they're, they, some people will, will use the term fluffy. Some people use the term crazy, whatever they want to use. I certainly yeah. feel, uh, feel that's been a thing for me. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. There's one very definitive example I can think of, which was a lot more practical. So was not based around I'm a super positive person or, you know, um, that kind of affirmation. It was actually a goal which I turned into an affirmation. Right. So um, so the around that, that time where I sort of started to, to get into personal development and that sort of thing. Um, and like I mentioned, I didn't have an idea for a business. I just knew I wanted to do something. So I was you know, starting to, to take action. Um, one of the things I sort of preempted or, or saw that might be an issue when I do come to have an idea and something, find something I want to pursue is I, I, like I mentioned before, like I've never in situations where I feel uncomfortable. And so th that would be something that I think would probably have stopped me would be like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I care too much about what people think, or I'm not used to this uncomfortable feeling, so I don't know how to deal with it, I'm gonna fail. So what I decided to do again, I don't have an idea, but I wanna take action, was what can I do today? And that was start an Instagram account, uh, you know, creating fitness content, and that's sort of where, the, where it came from. Um, and so one of my goals for that, in, that Instagram account was to have 10,000 followers by uh, the end of the year. Uh, and obviously, you know, followers does not equate to self-worth or, or anything like that but it was just something in my head I was like it's very you know it's what you call a smart goal like it's very specific it's metric, you can yeah. measure it yes exactly um and so one of my first affirmations was I easily and effortlessly have 10,000 followers on Instagram and it's an example I like to show people because up until August of that year I think you know, I worked out in a diary of the year how many followers I needed to gain each month in order to hit that target. And after a month, I was behind. And by August, I was on like 3,000 followers. But I kept saying that, that uh, affirmation every day. And I, and I don't think I got to 10,000 by the end of the year. I think I actually got to 16,000 by the end of the year because I said that. But I think by saying it, it kept it top of mind. And on those days where I thought, oh, I can't bother to make a post, it was like, well, I've said this in the morning, you know, if I don't do this, then I'm going against the identity that I've kind of come to, to form. Um, so yeah, so that, that's one of the very sort of specific and a bit more practical affirmations that, that I've used or, or I used when I first started. That's an extremely practical one. And I think the key term you hit on there is identity. And Again, listeners will know I bang on about atomic habits, but if you think about um, one of the, the kind of key tips is what would a successful person in your field do? So you were thinking, what would a successful person who has grown a, an engaged, strong following with 10,000 followers, what would they do? And it is turn up and post something valuable every single day. Yeah. And it meant that you yeah. then took that action. And I guess to, to maybe share a little bit from my own, mine is very much... Um, I'm someone who follows through on their convictions and completes their allotted tasks and provides value to others while developing himself. And for me, it's all about, yes, I can be at my own peak performance and push myself hard, but can I support mm. others around me and not, not necessarily develop myself to the detriment of others, which I think some people can, can fall into. So again, that's like an affirmation I write in my diary and it drives my actions throughout the day as in I'm somebody that's developing themselves, but I want to bring 
people around me and the others and others that matter to me along with me as much as possible. And again, mm. that then that then dives down into different actions like like you posting daily valuable content on Instagram. It might be that I share um valuable resources with my friends on on WhatsApp if I find a good podcast or a good book, all that kind of stuff to try and bring people uh, along on the journey while developing yourself. So no, I really like those those affirmations. Was there any other habits that immediately kind of continued on your personal development journey yeah so the the other major ones were probably um around my uh like sleeping pattern and also um there was a, yeah there's a few yeah so i think sleeping pattern how much water i was drinking a day and then making my bed as, as soon as i woke up so um those were three obviously very easy things that you can do like regardless like sleeping when you get up and when you go to bed was something that didn't become a routine until after I left university because obviously you know you've got you know nights out and stuff which, which kind of get in the way of that but in general I try to get up um, earlier uh, go to bed earlier I'd always try and make my bed uh, as soon as I woke up and then obviously that comes from it's kind of like a, a military thing that they instill in you to sort of give you that sense of discipline and the, the you know thought process behind it being that if you don't have the discipline to wake up and complete this very simple task first thing in the morning how can you expect yourself to achieve anything else and for 21 years of my life I never made no 20 years of my life I never made my bed and then when I heard about it from a few people I was like all oh, right we'll give it a go and I always make my bed every morning no matter how I'm feeling if I'm hungover if I'm feeling fresh if I'm ill I always 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 do it I like that so yeah. much because it, again, that falls into the low hanging fruit bundle where it's a yes. win straight away. It's like that whole, in, in that military sense, it's like win the day from the very start um, get yourself on the front foot, serve yourself first and put your, make sure your environment's in the right, in the right place. And I, I think much like you, when I was at university, I've, my bed would be left in a left in whatever state <laughs> I got out in, but equally now waking up ahead of a, a, a day at work when I'm trying to be the most on point, um actualized high performing person start the day off by doing the simple things put yourself yeah. in a good position so big 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 fan of that liam and um, another another good habit that's an easy one to initially implement and start to put yourself as a, a high performer mm, no yeah to totally agree and uh, to be honest i could honestly like i'm a big fan of of uh, atomic habits as well so i think it's a, a, a great book and I could speak forever about, you know, morning, <clears throat> pardon me, like morning routines, uh, habits, like, you know, it just, I think it's something that makes achievement really, really attainable for people because it comes down to those daily things you do and having a morning routine, I think is, a, is, a, is probably a, another thing which, which comes from those podcasts, which I think um, has really helped me and helps to create some consistency, especially now in my days where it's totally down to me what I do. I think having that morning routine, you know, really sets me up um, for, you know, achieving something or, or having a productive day. Exactly, Liam. And I think we've kind of covered where you were finishing your placement year, you're going into final year university, you've got this ambition that you want to be a business owner. The idea is yet to, to, to come to full fruition, but you're working on yourself as a high performer. You're copying or implementing the different good habits that high performers that you're aware of have in order to try and reach that same level so do as a successful person does as a is a, a foundation to your to your lifestyle at this point 
Mm. What kind of came at the end of university? Because I know you were speaking to me about um, what you called an accelerated boot camp. And I guess we're, we'll dive into that a little bit and then we can maybe speak around the different values and maybe the limitations of a, of a business degree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so just, you know, first touching on, on the business and, and the idea just to, to give a bit of context for this accelerator. Um, so it was around Easter time that I came up with the concept of having a uh, comparison website for online fitness coaches. Um, and it's, it's evolved from then. And, and obviously I think we'll, we'll go on to, to speak about what it is now. Um, but that was, you know, the initial idea. And I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that after wanting to have an idea for business and after doing these, you know, routines and these habits and, and taking action, I don't think it's a coincidence that that idea came about. Um, so, yeah, so once I, I graduated or, or before I finished, actually, I, I applied to a boot camp. Um, so it's like a, it's a year long program, but it starts with a, a five day boot camp where you get sort of put through your paces with all things business. So covering, you know, legally how you incorporate your company, um, you know, the legal requirements you might have to think about marketing, sales, pitching, um, accounting and finance, sort of, you know, a real crash course into what being, you know, a business owner is because you are responsible for all of those different things um so that was you know super valuable and and also just really motivating because you're in a room with 40 other founders and you're like oh i'm, I'm not the only person doing this and and actually two of those i'm really really close with now and, and we still have sort of catch-ups every month to check in with each other see how we're getting on and, and make sure we're not sort of feeling alone so that that experience was was invaluable and, and i'm just coming to the, to the end of that that year now that's excellent liam and i think when we speak about that boot camp with the really practical elements of being a business owner so the incorporation the setting up your accounts and your finances tax implications the marketing the pitching the product the usps the business plan that you have to create it's that kind of appreciate uh, the, the, the the course runs in full for a year but that that kind of five-day period is that short intense burst of learning versus a three-year degree where there's a lot of theory and mm. um, maybe understanding of different concepts rather than yeah. directly applicable yeah, directly applicable um, actions that Content, you can take. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, I guess that's where the maybe the debate comes in about the different values that you can gain from doing a three-year degree versus maybe doing a, a crash course like this where mm. you're very much business-focused. Appreciate the one that you went on was one that was linked to the to, to, to Aston and they and they, they help you with that process, yeah. which is fantastic. Again, they do the year in industry and then they do this. But a lot of people would maybe look at what you've done with the bootcamp and think, wow, could I maybe do this if I'm really serious about my business rather than maybe leverage themselves with the, the debt and the time that university takes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I think it is a, you know, a very fine, fine argument and, and, a, and a balanced one. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that when, you know, people talk about these sorts of issues, which do kind of, to a certain extent you know polarize people you know some people are very anti-university some people are very for it i do think you have to be wary of your own biases and just be like you know whatever your opinion is 
that's fine but also other people will feel very strongly in a, in a different way and it, you know it's important to, to appreciate um but yes yeah, so certainly for, for myself like the what i learned on those five days was so much more applicable to what i've done for the last year than almost everything i can think of one module i did in my first year which was an intro to accounting and finance which was very practical so you actually learn how to do a balance sheet and stuff like that um but yeah aside from that there's nothing that really sticks out that i've implemented in, in this last year yeah it's that's that's an incredible maybe mic drop moment and I, I know a lot of people who've done business degrees that would say the same that turned into business owners the one mm. caveat I would give and I guess you would echo this from previous chats that we've had is around the fact that many of the modules and the courses that you do are almost geared towards you joining a corporate business as a cog in the wheel and working your way up to a leadership leadership position sorry um and directing things from there in terms of different modules are in leadership and company structure hr and um and, and and people skills whereas as a founder in a startup business maybe the skill set and the practicalities needed are a little bit different mm. no yeah yeah I, I totally agree i think you know just thinking about it now actually obviously our degree system is geared towards making us employable so we can go into those corporate settings and you know have the skills necessary to succeed but that, so we're not being set up for going off to to start your own business so that it kind of makes sense really that that, that is the case um and of course like obviously you know most people do go into those kind those more corporate roles or, or more you know structured roles um and so that's kind of it makes sense i guess in a, to a certain extent that that's what they do but but certainly I, I i don't you know regret my time at university and obviously the experience i'll always champion and always sort of um you know uh evangelize to anyone who's thinking about it like yeah. the experience alone was incredible and i could talk about that forever um but even the knowledge and, and the stuff that i was studying whilst it's not directly applicable to what i'm doing now there's definite value there from a practical standpoint you know maybe further down the line when it comes to building teams or looking at ways to integrate creativity into the business i think there's the stuff there that, that i'll be able to go back to um but also just that process of learning like learning is so important um, you know, if you're not learning, you're you're stagnant and, and you're not growing as a person. And I think there's something in that, like bettering yourself, I think is so important. So those extra three years of having, you know, learning stuff that I'd, I'd never come across before was, was super important as well. I can, I can understand that. And I think one of the key things that comes up in this conversation when I have it with friends is around that maturing process during university. Because mm. in Scotland, um, it's quite common. I went to university at 17 and I could not possibly imagine 17-year-old Colin in a corporate environment with the skill set yeah. that I had when I graduated at 21. And I imagine you were much the same. That year in industry probably served you so, so well versus if yeah. you'd gone straight out of uh, GCSEs or A-levels into that business environment, that would have been extremely challenging. And there were definitely things that you would have learned during that period. But for me, it's things like, time management, uh, holding yourself accountable compared to when you're at school, when everything is very much diaried for you and there's, there's teachers on your case all the time to keep you mm. on track and, and, and kind of honest, whereas university yeah. is very much left to fend for yourself. So that's why the, the dropout rate is higher than, it, than at a school. People fail more exams. Yeah. 
courses. So I guess maybe the time management and the organization aspect is probably one of the most valuable things alongside the actual content of a course. And that sounds a bizarre thing to say, but that alongside the maturing aspect of just time and experiencing more things is probably mm. university's key differentiator from if we were all just to join the, the working world straight from mm. school. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree. And I think as well, that's very useful for me now as well, because I've gone through that process of not having my hand held and you know what I'm doing now there's no one to tell me you know if I decide to do no work for a week there's no one's going to say anything to me um so you know it's totally down to me and obviously there's not as much accountability as there is at university because you know you have deadlines and uh, exams and stuff like that but you know it's still a lot more responsibility on yourself um and so I think that's a process that's that's definitely benefited me you know going into to starting my own business yeah, of course. So we've uh, we've got to a stage where you've left university last May or Easter time. You've come up with the business idea for the comparison site for online coaches. And here we are present day ready almost for, for the launch. So let's get into a little bit around what the business is, is called, what it's about, and some of the key areas that drove it from a, a, a unique selling point perspective. Because ultimately with any business, we identify problems and we bring a solution as much as possible to, to the clients or customers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the business is called bell B E L. Um, and that stands for better in everyday life. And that really ties into everything we're, we're trying to do really. That's, that's our core sort of mission is we're trying to help people to become better in everyday life. So that's kind of a, a different approach to a lot of other fitness related businesses. And we've kind of, we're trying to tie that into everything we're doing now. So the, the business as it is at the minute is, is now more of a bespoke sort of matching service. So people, um, people looking for a coach who we actually refer to as heroes in our sort of all of our copy, all of our communications, like you are the main character in your life. You are the hero we're here to match you with a guide who's going to help you to become you know a better version of, of yourself um so everything we do is geared towards that sort of more wholesome look at you know fitness is less about what you look like and what you weigh and more about the fact that it can benefit your your mental health your discipline um your you know your ability to carry home your weekly shop or, or play around with your kids or your grandkids like there's so much more to it than what is portrayed in, in sort of, you know, across social media and, and across, um, you know, other platforms and websites. So that's really sort of our core, um, you know, value and, and what it is we're trying to, uh, to achieve. And um, so for us, the, the, in terms of like the, the problems that we're trying to solve. So for someone who is looking to get into fitness, you, you know, you might step, step foot into the gym and, work with one or two of the, the PTs, they might, you know, give out a free session. But if you find that that actually none of the PTs there sort of get you or, or you don't click with them or, and you're not comfortable to pay the money and to have a relationship with them where they're sort of, you know, play a very large part in your life because because of the links between fitness and your mental health, like it's a very important role. So if you don't have that connection and you don't feel like you want to work with any of them, you're kind of stuck. You, you know, uh, you might try yourself, you might, you know, um, sort of flounder at the start of your fitness journey and, and not really be able to get into it. When actual, when in actual fact, there's a world of coaches out there that you could connect with and who could be perfectly suited 
for your needs, like, you know, what age you are, what goal you're trying to achieve, you know, whether you're pregnant or just had a baby or, you know, maybe you're a bit older and you need some specific help for that. Like there's so many coaches out there in the online coaching space who could help you with that, but there's really nowhere that you could go for that. Um, so that's really what we're, we're trying to do is, is to actually, you know, be the place that you go for an online coach. I think that's really interesting with that respect because like you say, it's maybe helping with that awareness piece that you're not just limited to the the three or four trainers or sometimes more depending on how big your gym is that are working on the gym floor day to day. There's a whole online world out there of specialists in whatever demographic you fall into. So you named a few there. You might be a student, you might be um a, a working professional who travels a lot so there's coaches mm. out there that specialize in that that you mentioned a uh, pregnancy or or, or, or or post-pregnancy there's coaches that specialize in that and drive that for you and the chances of that person being in the in the gym that you walk into are quite slim so yeah. this service allows you to filter through that from a client perspective and mm. one of the other areas that i was quite keen to speak about that you've highlighted me before is that level of formalization to getting an online coach and i'll i'll let you go right in on that one Liam, because i know that there's so many and we'll, we'll not use any really harsh terms but there's a lot of people out there who are maybe under qualified or under um mm. under skilled to deliver on yeah. coaching service so that this this service helps to filter some of that out of the process doesn't it yes yeah exactly exactly so you know if if you are actually aware of online coaching and you, you might be able to, to go and have a look for an online coach. You know, our market research has shown that the place that you're most likely to go to is Instagram. So if you go to Instagram and you search for an online coach, you're one, you're being shown results based off of um, who you follow, who you interact with, not based off of who's best for you. But also there's no way for you to tell of those coaches, you know, who's got the most experience, who is actually qualified because actually I've spoken to a fair few coaches who say in their bio online coach, but actually haven't done any formal qualifications. And, you know, whilst you might have seven years experience in the gym, I feel that because of the, the close connection between your physical and your mental health, I feel like it's irresponsible of people to not have done a, a formal qualification and actually um, before going into coaching. So everyone that we, all of the coaches that we work with and who are in our database are one, level three qualified as a minimum, and two, can provide three testimonials that we then go away and verify um, to sort of uh, champion them and, and sort of demonstrate that they are a high quality coach. Yeah, and it gives the, the client and the customer that reassurance that this is somebody that's legit. And like you say, when um, maybe something does go wrong further down the line with a, a coach that you've been working with and you were to find out that they hadn't gone through uh, any form of qualification, and we know how easy the level three really is to get, actually. Um, mm. So even that's, that's, there needs to be a minimum bar, and that, that is it at the moment. But there's people that aren't even reaching that. So for them to have access to people just based on the size of the following is, 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 is a mm. big red flag. And I really like the testimonials element because I see a lot of coaches or people purporting to be coaches who never ever post client results. And often the reason for that is because they don't get any. So mm. as an online coach to have those testimonials, there of real people who you've impacted that might sit within your demographic gives you further reassurance that you want to 
want to work with them as well. Is that the main things from a, a user perspective? One of the other things that sprung to mind for me is the ability to filter by maybe price point as well in terms of who they would want to work with based on their own budget because I know that maybe if I was looking for a coach and I knew my budget was uh, £200 a month or whatever Mm. and there were certain coaches that maybe were well beyond that or maybe there were certain coaches that were charging peanuts and I was like well maybe I want somebody who's a bit more premium Mm. yeah yeah so so that's a really interesting point actually so one of the things which was really apparent from the coaches that we spoke to in our in our first round of market research was people were, were really really against being compared based off of price because everyone you know also from from my perspective i think it makes sense that how can you assign value to that person's service without understanding their service and understanding them so a lot of coaches were like, I don't like telling people my price because I like them to, you know, create a relationship first and then let them, you know, make a fair judgment of what is fair value. So actually there's no, we don't offer any, there's, you know, there's no way to filter on that as of yet. We're sort of, you know, this first iteration, this, this minimum viable product doesn't um, factor in price. But if that's something that, that becomes a big issue for, for the heroes that, that go through and, and that's something they want, then we'll be able to sort of take that into account in future iterations because we're taking this sort of user-driven uh, approach with our, with our product development. And, and one of the ideas that we've, we've sort of had and, and might be a way to sort of get a fine balance between the two is that when we present the, the hero with um, the most relevant coaches from our database have sort of a, a you know, a color coding system. So relative to these five coaches that are in front of you, this one, these two are in the highest uh, price bracket, these two are in the lowest, this one is in the middle sort of thing. So that's something we could look to, to introduce because I, you know, I understand from someone's perspective, they, they will have a budget and a lot of the time there is no flexibility there because there's, there's other things in life you need to, to account for. Um, uh, and so that, that's definitely something we might have to take into account. But at the same time, we don't want people to just shoot for the bottom and go for the lowest price because a lot of the time it's the lowest price for a reason. So Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. So that's probably has covered it from the heroes or the client's perspective. From the coach's perspective, one of the things that sprung to mind immediately for me was identifying your target market and actually speaking to people within that because otherwise you've got this wide pool of millions of people out there within the internet how mm. do you find the right ones for you so i suppose it helps from that perspective for a coach yes no no totally um that's something that i think a lot of people you know myself included as a coach kind of you know struggle with is to really dial in on a, a niche or a specialism that you know the type of person that you really love to work with because you think oh, I'm, I'm swearing off all of these other people that might want to work with me but you know when you're getting you know when we're bringing you people who are interested in in having an online coach like we need to differentiate between coaches and who's the most relevant for that hero so it's you know i think it's really important just from a coach's perspective as well to have that kind of usp have that area of expertise in terms of their own business um and so we kind of help to mold that a little bit because um you know that's part of how our system works and you know essentially everyone will have a, they'll either have a preference or they'll have a group which they've worked most with. So they have the most experience with and therefore will be able to get the best results. So the people or you know, potential clients that we're sending their way and, and can 
potentially turn into clients are people that they will be able to get really great results for, which obviously is a, a massive benefit for them as a, as a coach as well, because they'll have better testimonials, they'll have, you know, glowing reviews. So it is really, you know, that's why it's so important to have that kind of niche and, and why it was so important for us to make that a part of this matching service. That's it. And it's that whole, with my salesman hat on, warm leads or people that are mm. your target demographic that you know that you've got a solution for that are likely to fall within your niche and area that you can support and help rather than maybe having 15 conversations a week with potential leads 10 of which mm. are completely unsuitable would you much rather have well. yeah exactly and time and time and resource is a huge thing everyone knows our time's valuable we've just spoken about morning routines and structure and 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 and, and, and how we um, set ourselves best up for the day and a good way to spend your time is absolutely not sifting through people who who are saying oh how much is it for six weeks coaching bro that's not what you need you'd much rather have just a a smaller number of conversations that are warmer and more um suited to your service so that it really just comes down to your delivery on that call rather than actually Mm -hmm. filtering through the fact whether they're going to be suitable at all yeah no exactly and and another sort of aspect to that the reason that actually we're the you know uh, I don't really like the term leads, but it is what it is. But, you know, a lot of people hear that word and, and think, well, super salesy and, and what we're actually dealing with here is is real people. But with those people that, you know, with the heroes that we're directing towards these coaches, not only are these people, you know, actively looking for an online coach, not only are they suitable for that coach's experience, the way the process works is the hero chooses which coaches they want to be contacted by. So if you're getting this, you know, if you're getting notified that this person wants to speak to you, they're an extremely, extremely interested party um, because, yes, they, they're looking for an online coach. They fit your demographic and they've actively chosen to be contacted by you. Yeah. And it, it's a, then it's a consensual conversation either way. And that's a nice position to be in in terms of you can have a good back and forth. And if the if the metrics all fit and the plans all fit, then you can work together moving forward. Outside of that, um, you can move away happy enough that maybe it just wasn't wasn't perfect. And there'll be conversations mm. like that as there always are in, in business interactions or business customer interactions. Is there mm. anything else around the service that you would want to call out from a, a coaching perspective, Liam? One of the things I've got on my radar is obviously you're away from the noise of social media where sometimes you have to play the game to um to attract people into your page and i know that there's a lot of followers on my page if i was to launch a coaching service a percentage of people that follow me would be there just wouldn't be the right people for me where there's maybe a small percentage that would be Mm, yeah no 100 i think you know that you know social media is is amazing but there's a lot of people who who you know you, you mentioned earlier benefit from that following they have but are potentially not even qualified to deliver the programs that they're selling um and so it's unfair that that those people would be able to enjoy the abundant benefits of being an online coach when people with you know decades of experience as a pt on the on the gym floor and who've just started an online business you know struggled for that to really take off um and so you know obviously you see it all the time on, on Instagram as well. Like being an online coach is amazing because you have the freedom to travel anywhere or you can make a, a, a greater level of income. And those things are possible, but you can be held back because, because social media and Instagram is the main way that people find online coaches. 
always, you know, we can't switch off the fact that we look at how many followers that person has, how many likes they get. Like that's obviously social proof, but neither of those things are metrics for good online coaching. And that's why we're so keen to, to have a specific place that people can go to find an online coach. And we don't do, we don't, you know, we don't show that person's following or that person's Instagram account as part of our, you know, as part of that coach profile on our, our, our service, because you know people are intuitive they'll want to know like how many followers does this person have and we don't want that to impact their decision yeah huge point and to to give that an example many of the listeners will remember david hat who was on the podcast who runs one of the most successful fitness online businesses in 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 scotland in the uk and he was doing that with ten thousand followers and he was on a in a mastermind with online coaches who had hundreds of thousands, almost a million followers who were doing a fraction of the amount of business and having a fraction of the impact he was having. So social media can be really skewed. So there'll be other scales of that who maybe somebody has a thousand followers, but it's a fantastic coach, but due to the algorithm and the way the platform works, they don't get the chance to reach the the people in their demographic because they're maybe not quite Mm. as savvy at the social media game. Um, So no, Mm. I think that's a, that's, that's, that's a huge point there, William. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's not, um, you know, it's not fair that someone should be held back because of those factors. And, you know, Instagram is primarily a social platform. Like, it's not built for this. So, there's, it, it, you know, it's not surprising that, that it doesn't work for everyone. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're really just trying to make that the concept or, or the, the possibility of becoming a successful independent online coach. We want that to be more, more accessible for uh, coaches. And, and we believe as well that if coaches are have that independence and have the freedom to actually achieve a successful business they're going to be more you know they're going to be more actualized they're going to enjoy their life more so we're helping them to become better in everyday life and, and you know that's really everything that that we're trying to do on, on both sides of the coin yeah i think you can see from the business model that better in everyday life is the is is, is the strap plane and that's what you've looked to implement both for heroes and clients but also for the guides and the coaches as 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 part of that we've packed an awful lot into this episode haven't we in terms of Liam's background at university some of the different benefits and challenges within university also that personal development journey that you've gone on from somebody who's already doing well but who listened and found these peak performers and started to implement some of the different habits they have and if there's anything that listeners take from the podcast that they can action immediately it's to think of the things that high performers around you do and mm-hmm. what little things can i do what's the low-hanging fruit like making my bed like a positive affirmation in the morning that i can implement all the way through to things like meditation and um and perhaps reading more self-development books that you can take action on. And then lastly, we've spoken around how you've built a business, which is very much designed with two parties in mind and finding a, a problem that both of them perhaps have and, and, mm. and bringing a solution to it. All that's left then, Liam, is really for you to sign posters and where's best for people to, to find you. And tell us a little bit about when Bell is actually going to be launching. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, we're, the, the game plan at the minute is to have what you call a, a soft launch in October. For, for Bell. Um, so what that involves is, is we will have a, a waiting list um, up and we'll sort of invite people to come through that waiting list and go through the sign-up process and be matched with coaches um, so that we can sort of do that in a very controlled way and sort of you know get conduct some user tests and, uh, and get some feedback but then we're looking to then launch sort of real time in, in January so that's when we'll be going sort of 
really like. Um, uh, but in the in between that as well, we'll be running sort of challenges to help people immediately before we've properly launched to get into the habit of, of, of working out and stuff like that. So um, if you want to, to find out any more or, or join the waiting list, then you want to head to www.meetbell.com. That's M-E-E-T-B-E-L.com. Um, and then all of our socials are meet bell as well so instagram facebook and linkedin are all at meet bell uh, we also have pinterest and twitter which are meet underscore bell so um most active places definitely going to be instagram to start with so if people want to um fight you know head there then then that'll be super useful um and yeah and my own personal instagram account probably the best place if you have any questions or, or anything um and that is liam.cabana.fitness you can get the, the spelling for, for that from the link note uh, the show notes or, or yes it'll be in the show notes liam not to worry at all thank you very much for joining me liam and thank you for listening everyone if you're with us at this point please take a screenshot pop it on your instagram story tag liam tag myself let us know what you thought what are some of the things that triggered your personal development journey what are some of the things that you look for in an online coach or if you are an online coach is bell the type of service that you need to reach the right market that you're going for and i will be back to speak to you all again very very soon